Welcome to the Leadership of Fools. We are about to up anchor and set sail into the heady ocean of business dilemmas and discussions. Nothing's going to stop us. On today's episode of Leadership of Fools, we tackle the question of imposter syndrome. And yes, we can confirm it does exist. We appreciate the impact of discovering you're not alone, the role of peer support, the role organisations can play in encouraging peer support, especially for new leaders, and we introduce a new concept, one we've labelled the vulnerability threshold. Today's guests, Kate Temby and Nat Fian. Nat is a very experienced marketing leader and is especially passionate about digital. Kate, as well as being a recent Australian survivor, is a very experienced global finance executive. Uh, to my right is Colin Beatty. Colin Beatty, give us a little quick synopsis, the elevator pitch of Colin. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Rick. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm Colin, Colin Beatty, uh, Director of Somersault, which is an organisation that uh, helps organisations with cultural change, leadership development. And interestingly, it's been 15 years uh, since Somersault was first born, which was also the same year my son was born. Oh, so. It's all in- interwoven, it the tapestry of life. Somehow, Sounds way. like an interesting moment to have chosen. <laughs> we'll have a baby and I'll start I would business. never recommend that to anybody. So there's a lesson learnt already. And over here to my left, uh, that voice you've already just got a little snippet of, we've got Nat Finn. Uh, where, who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing now? Tell me all about you. All about me. Um, <laughs> Nat Fian, yes. Executive General Manager of Marketing for MYOB. So we sell online accounting and finance products. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, it's a digital business and I love being in tech. Um, I've got two little kids and one on the way, so I'm sitting here occasionally being kicked in the guts. So if you hear a little, uh, it'll be a little person inside saying, hey, Beautiful. there's something going on out there. So we might end up with a, a birth live on the podcast. Let's <laughs> all uh, hope not. Yes. We are locked in a very small room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and over uh, opposite me, uh, I'm just creating the picture. I know it's irrelevant to the podcast audience, but I just want people to know where people are situated in context of the table that we're sitting around. Uh, Kate Tenby, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. And I, I need to know about you, Kate. I need to know. Get, tell me, who are you? What's going on? Who am I? How did I get here? <laughs> well, I've had 25 years in leadership, mainly in financial services, mm-hmm. a 17-year career at Goldman Sachs, Ooh. and now most recently with a startup out of London. Uh, so really taking it back and thinking about how you build teams uh, and how you really can live a full life, and that's with work, but also just more broadly. Uh, I have two children. Yes. Uh, 15 and 13. Beautiful. Oh, well, I've surrounded myself with uh, some credentials because uh, I know nothing. Uh, so we've got all the experts in here. And we're going to tackle some of those business, uh, I guess, ideas. The We're going to unpack. We're going to repack. We're going to – there's going to be some packing. I feel like <laughs> if we're going to do anything, we're going to pack. Um, so let's, let's get the conversation started. Uh, we've got a few things to plough through uh, like old school Amish farmers. We're going to start ploughing. And uh, let's start with – let's start with uh, – it's a simple one. Is imposter syndrome really a thing for leaders uh, and does it pay off to be yourself at work? Sort of two questions wrapped up into one. So we're just going to tackle imposter syndrome. How do you feel about that, Colin? I'm really curious. I'm pro- probably particularly curious for both Nat and Kate. Um, so this is kind of a, I'll make a statement and also ask a question. Um, I do lots of one-on-one coaching and it doesn't matter whether the person is a CEO or an emerging leader. Um, 
somewhere in the first three or four conversations, uh, whether the term's used or not, this idea of feeling like I'm an imposter, feeling like I'm going to get found out. So I'm kind of curious, has that been experienced in your own career? Nat, I'm asking you first. Yeah, and I've got a big smile on my face because it's something that resonates with me so strongly. And it's interesting because even in the question you asked, it was, is imposter syndrome a thing within leaders? Whereas I think it's something that exists within everybody, probably regardless of what position perhaps you're in. It's got far-reaching tendrils of imposter syndrome. It just gets heightened as you kind of further through your career. So, look, I've certainly uh, felt it. Uh, and I think what's been nice for me, even over the last couple of the of years, is actually recognising that it does exist in most people. And that certainly provides a level of comfort when you're sitting around an executive table and then thinking that everybody's feeling the same way, perhaps. So it helps you to feel like you're not alone around it. Absolutely. And so it's, I guess it's a case of everyone's got imposter syndrome, but you're more exposed in the, the higher up the leadership chain you go, you've got less place to hide, I guess. So then. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think about imposter syndrome and recently I saw a quote from Emma Watson. Now, Emma Watson, I mean, she is, <laughs> you know, an absolute star in every possible way. And she said that she suffers from imposter syndrome. And I thought, well, that's fantastic. I feel much better now. Uh, Kate? I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think imposter syndrome is how you define it. Is it one of the true confidence and being able to recognise that you're actually legitimately being able to do what you're asked to do and accepting that you can thrive in that. Uh, so I too can absolutely skating on thin ice and how that feels. Uh, but I think more importantly, it's what can you do to help people reconcile imposter th syndrome? And I think there's a lot you can do in developing people and, and, and working through that. Yeah. Is it an Australian thing in particular? Does it go hand no. in hand with tall poppy syndrome? And I'm asking you, this mm. Kate, having, you having worked out of New York yep. quite a lot, like yep. do you think it exists across the globe? I'm pausing because I've also worked a lot in Asia. So thinking through all of the cultural difference, it, it is fascinating. Getting your geopolitical landscape in order. I, Marissa, the backdrop, I, I think it does, but I think it plays out differently. So in Australia, you'll see it play out very gender specific in my view and it expresses itself in a masculine way of the overpowering masculine view and then the woman taking a, a quieter, you know, un showing that she's not really confident in what they're doing. So it plays out in that way. In New York, people just play forward and are loud. So you may not see it in the same um, gender lens. Um, and in Asia, people don't speak up. So, you know, you've got to work harder to really unveil So that. it's potentially the same source expressed differently. quite differently. Yeah. Which if I connect that even to your world, Rick, yep. as an improviser getting mm -hmm. on stage and we talk, you talk a lot about the, the fear that plays out and how people express that. Yes. Um, and, and I guess what does imposter – what is imposter syndrome? Like in, in its – if you had to express it in a, like a, in a nutshell, yeah, what, is, what, what is imposter I've syndrome? I've been thinking about that and I wonder if it stems from almost an expectation that you have on yourself to know everything. And so you feel like you're a fraud or you're going to be undone because somebody's going to ask something of you that perhaps you don't know. And I do wonder, like I was reflecting on what you were saying, Kate, in terms of the gender mix, 
And even if we look at things like women applying for roles, they often mm-hmm. say a woman needs to meet 80% of the criteria before they'll put themselves forward, whereas a male might only need 40 to 50% of the of the requirements before they've put themselves forward. So if I look at that, I kind of think, okay, well, maybe it is that, that need to be feeling like we're ticking all of the boxes yep. or we shouldn't have a seat at the table. Yep. And the other play, the way it plays out in performance reviews, classic, the female will focus on the one negative, the male will focus on the three positives uh, and fail to miss the others. And that's why I think it's, it's anchored actually in confidence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know where it plays out for me? Um, it plays out when I start to think of where I grew up. I grew up in a small country town and um, there was a point in my career where I earned more money in a month than my dad had ever earned in a year. And the thing I started to tell myself is don't don't be a wanker, don't be... Don't drive back don't, to, to that small town and wave your money in your town. dad's face. That's right. like, sucked in, Dad. Look at me now. How did you know that's exactly what I was thinking? It's <laughs> <laughs> phenomenal. Um, but I'm, I'm almost saying, like, I think it might come from different places, but for me it's like you are not, you are not that person. You're actually something else. Like, and I picture myself really young when I'm having... Uh, the biggest crisis of confidence. And I wonder if there's always like a comparison point with imposter syndrome. Like you can only feel like an imposter Mm -hmm. if you're comparing yourself to something or someone. So in that case, it's comparing yourself to your dad. Uh, It might be comparing yourself to the CEO or somebody else sitting at the table with you or somebody that you meet for the first time. Yeah, or some just preconceived idea of of what you're supposed to be, Uh, you know, a a false expectation of what it means to be in a certain position and what... what, um, I guess, attributes you need to to have. And is it kind of like an emperor's new clothes, I guess, realising that everyone's or most people are suffering imposter syndrome should almost make imposter syndrome disappear because you're realising that if we're all coming from a place of feeling like we're we're fraud, frauds and that we're, we're faking it till we make it, um, then we all actually are coming from the same place and so that expectation needs to be re-evaluated. And I guess, Colin, from your experience coaching people, does it actually motivate or does it hinder people's performance? Because in some ways, maybe it motivates us to work harder or to make sure that we're working hard enough not to be an imposter. I'm convinced it's a motivator. I'm absolutely convinced. But it comes at a cost. Mm. So um, I think it is a true driver for people to work harder, achieve more, to put themselves out there. Uh but the personal cost is probably what I worry most mm. about and especially in later stages of people people's careers where they actually go on, uh, was it all worth it? You know, mm. uh, did I compromise myself? Did I not miss follow my... Re- yeah, did I miss opportunities? That's why I think people need to work through it and reconcile it. Yeah. Because I think it does eat you alive. Right. It's a road. It's, it's not a road to reconciliation in having a full life. So I think it can play out in negatively in the working environment because you're on edge. Right? The, the ice is going to break, you know, or you are grinding yourself to the stone in compromise of your other full life. So I think there's a lot that organisations can do to help people reconcile imposter syndrome. Yeah, because it is mainly a mindset mm-hmm. uh, and it's, yeah, it's only as real as you, as you want it to be. Like, like what? Like, do you? What sense do you have about the organisation's responsibility? So, in I have a lot of conversations with people about reconciling imposter syndrome and whether it's you call it imposter syndrome, but I think it's um, understanding your true value. 
I like to imagine that when you get called in to give these talks, you don't feel like you are actually qualified to give those talks and then you're <laughs> sitting there giving talks on imposter well, syndrome going, oh, I really shouldn't be doing this. The great <laughs> thing about it, I'm talking about them and not me. Yeah, good. So there ah, it, it makes it easier. Until I ask about my own. <laughs> but I think my, my um, view is people need to be encouraged to understand their value and often organisations are very good at um, devaluing people. I don't think they do it intentionally, but they're working with a mass of people that they really want. You need your 80% just thriving. You don't actually need your 80% excelling. So if we talk down to our 80% and keep them there, they're all fine. Mm-hmm. But in fact, if you encourage people to reach out and actually see what they're worth, they won't. maybe they won't leave their organisation, but they'll be truly valuing their skills. And then if they value and identify with their skills, they'll then be able to build on those skills. Yep. And it's a better base to start with rather than this cycle of, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for this ev- this ever-lasting, never-achievable thing of who I'm meant to be, but it's an imposter anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a yeah. really nice um, – it's so nice once you label something, you can deal with it because Precisely. it's a known. And you, but interesting, I was just reflecting on my career and I don't think I've ever had a conversation around an executive table or in leadership training or as management training ever talking about imposter syndrome as a thing. So oh, I right. think there's a huge gap and opportunity there within organisations, Colin. If you're constantly coaching people about imposter syndrome within executive groups, for example, it's amazing that they're not actually having the conversation themselves. It's kind of a thing, I guess, people are reluctant to talk about or name or admit that they're feeling it because it's like admitting that you're feeling that you're not, that I guess, you, that you're faking it uh, or that you're not qualified or you don't you don't feel like you're, uh, you've, you've got the necessary prerequisite skills to, to be doing what you're doing. Um, and no one wants to admit that because the, the whole point of imposter syndrome is that you're putting on a on a front so to name to name it and to talk about it is to admit that it's there which is almost like naming the beast i guess no never like never like you felt like because i i have a sense of uh your your career and the types of people you work with and i admire them so so i admire you and i admire the executives you work with and you've never had you've never opened up to each other around he admires you all no, a little less no, now. No, never. But I don't know has anybody Sorry else. <laughs> but in a leadership scenario, I mean, we talk about unconscious bias. We talk about, mm. um, you know, diversity. We talk about all sorts of Which issues. Which is often never, about never others, not, That's not right. about yourself. Or organisational issues that perhaps we need to face into, um, but not necessarily imposter syndrome. Well, and I think with peers showing vulnerability to a peer or a senior is a really challenging yeah, it's admitting situation. vulnerability, I guess, yeah. and that's it's, it's not generally encouraged or smiled upon. No, it? and at the same time, if our CEO turned around to me God. and said, I feel like an imposter, I'm a fraud, I, don't, I feel like I'm going to be undone, I would be shocked, but I also <laughs> might be slightly disappointed. Yeah. That's... Uh-huh. That's big, and, isn't it? Yeah. And I would say over the years, I feel less of an imposter syndrome than I would have in certain parts of my career earlier on. So it's something I think I've reconciled because I, I, I want to be at the table and feel I'm valid. And I think also from a female's perspective, you know, it, unless I had that, you know, you'd be eaten alive by the men. But what an amazing opportunity to be addressing this and training younger people when mm. they are really suffering from it yep. rather than saving it for an executive group or talking yep. about it as you know, the, the, the people in the C-suite who suffer from imposter syndrome is helping people recognise that at any stage of their career they might be feeling like that, and even more so because they've had less experience. Mm. But I, also I, to arm people about what they can do yeah. to work through it. 
rather, you know, I think there's a lot of calling of things, you know, as we're saying this, and we're going to talk about other topics today, but actually having tangible actions that people can reconcile it. Yeah. I I need to revisit something you just said. He is not going to let this go. <laughs> I'm like, scared the bone. now. Um, because I think... Um, I'm now picturing, I'll revisit what I think I heard you say, that <laughs> sense of if my CEO or someone I looked up to revealed uh, some of this, you would be a little, you'd be shocked. But the, uh, the one, the other thing that you said really struck me that you might be disappointed. Disappointed. Yeah. That, sorry. That was the word disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a strange nuance because you do want to have utmost confidence, especially in your C-suite or the CEO, that you're in good hands and that your business is tracking well and you've got the right people at the helm. So I think there's an element of, of it where I say it'd be great to have that conversation and know that they felt vulnerable because they're human. But at the same time, there may be an element of shock that comes associated with, oh no, how are we going to go if the CEO, who is ultimately the leader of the organisation, feels like a fraud. Yeah, it's, it's kind of is it kind of like that celebrity, uh, like the people we look up to. We're always disappointed when we find that they're flawed or that they've, you know, that they we, we put them on a pedestal, I guess, or we need them to be uh, sort of a beacon of something for us, a talisman. And then when that sort mm. of is proven to be sort of untrue, we're, we're, we're disappointed, even if it's Slightly. understandable. Yeah, and look, I think we want our CEOs to be human and we want everybody yeah. to be human. We want people to be vulnerable and I think we can form closer relationships and also respect people more when they are more open about how they feel. I think there is just an element there of the person who is ultimately making oh, the yeah. decisions about your organisation. You do want <coughs> to feel very confident in their hands. Similarly, I would think it is endearing of a leader if they could reveal in their career where they felt like that. Yeah. Because Talk to about me it, in the it past. shows... Yeah. Something, something I've, over, I've overcome, overcome imposter syndrome. Because it shows some insight. Yeah. Uh, I think it's naive to think everyone who stepped up to do a task felt totally equipped. Mm. You, I, you know, I think that would be a good learning and a sharing from a CEO. But you are right. I'd hope that you'd actually work through it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'd say for most organisations, the CEO probably has worked through it, which yeah. is exactly why they're in that seat yeah. and what might be preventing other people from around the table from not sitting in that seat. Precisely. And I guess this is where the, the question um, is more serious around that, that issue of leadership is that once you get to a certain point, it's almost impossible to admit you have imposter syndrome, whereas I guess earlier on that you are you are in more of a position to to implement change and to, to seek ways to, to remedy it. But once you get to that position where people uh, need you to be infallible in, in many ways, it's that's, I guess, almost going to heighten any imposter syndrome that you have. If we stop this conversation right now, I would walk away thinking I've uh, not served my clients well by not actually putting it more in the spotlight in leadership education, in coaching, um, and I almost wonder whether we've got any more answers, either for individuals or for organisations. Like, what do we think individuals need to do? So I've got a strong view. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it is a responsibility of those that are leading people to have a conversation yeah. about how people are coming to work. Yeah. How are they feeling within themselves? And that is one of imposter syndrome yeah. or that is one of overload or that is yeah. one of whatever it is and through having those conversations you can then give them insight but also actions 
so I think a, a classic example is when uh, organisations are going through a restructure. Yep. People are, are really feel like the carpet is taken under their feet. Whereas if you are confident in your skills and you have some insight into your skills internally, but most importantly, externally, it gives you insights into what you bring. And so then you are able to cope with the changing guard around you. Just think about how much energy, anxiety goes into change that by having named it, addressed it, prepared people not for change, I get it. You're preparing them to, to lead and be yourself. Some of that's going to go away, if not a lot of it. And if you are doing that on an ongoing basis, it's not reactionary. So, And it's not that you are marking yourself to market, but in one way you are validating your skills of what you've got but also how you need to develop. And so that resilience that you have then, A, you've worked through imposter syndrome. Mm. Yeah, you don't know everything, but no one last time I looked knew everything about everything. Uh, But you are better equipped and resilient to cope with the change that happens around you. Now, it may work out that your actual place is not at that organisation through that. You were an imposter the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) But you may actually re-up to the organisation. Say that again. You may actually recommit to the organisation. Right, that's right. Double down. Because you understand your value. That's right. Yeah. I just think surfacing it is so critical uh, and it's interesting because it's a topic that I hadn't thought about really surfacing within the organisation or even within my team. But the more that I think about it, especially for younger people, that's when it's going to impact them the Mm. most and it's going to have the most impact quickly. And then it's about how do you connect them with other people so that then from a peer and a network perspective that they understand that they're not alone. Uh, So then how do you create those support pieces for them? Well, rumour has it you're off to an executive off-site uh, event tonight. I think you need to quickly whip up a PowerPoint presentation about... Imposter syndrome and Ask just... Ask everybody how they're feeling. Yeah, and just, just, raise, just raise the spectre. <laughs> it's on you. I think you did touch on a topic, though, in encouraging young people to have peer external peer relationships. And I think uh, where we're going and the seeking of personal relationships within a professional environment, those networks have a new life about them. You know, than what our in the older generation where it was about legacy and you know networking in the old-fashioned networking uh, and I think those conversations have a far more personal yeah and if I think I'd, back to us talking about um, even at the at the executive table for example that you probably wouldn't have a conversation or you might not about imposter syndrome but each of those individuals it's probably important to recognize that it exists and if you're feeling from it if you haven't come out of it yet, you probably do rely on your peer network to be having more of those conversations with, which is where those peer networks externally, whether it's through formal coaching or informally, Mm. become so critical Mm. and so important. And it's making sure that people right through the organisation have access to those sorts of networks right from early on in their career. I almost wonder whether, um, and maybe we can trademark it today, but there is something about... Always looking to trademark, Colin. You are just a trademark beast. (laughs) But it is something that... It's the se- sensation of I'm not alone. Trademark. Trademark. <laughs> so, and I think it's completely underestimated, mm-hmm. underestimated. And I think what's fascinating is I enter into organisational systems as a coach and all of a sudden people share stuff that they're not sharing with each other, with me. Um, and So do we need Imposter Syndrome Anonymous? Uh, possibly. Just an online yes. forum where people can come and confess their... 
Rick, the fears, does it, the doubts. Does it exist in you, you work in the creative arts, yep. performing arts? Oh yeah, the creative arts is beset with imposter <laughs> syndrome. Everyone, they invented it. No matter no matter what level you get to, you you feel like you don't deserve to be there, and that uh, and that that level you got to it was not really worth much anyway. You know, <laughs> so, uh, so you don't just have imposter syndrome about yourself. You have an imposter syndrome about whatever level you get. To like you, you strive to be at a certain level, and once you get there, you're like, "Oh, this is a stupid. No one didn't. I'd rather be up in this next level." Um, so you're never happy with who you are or where you're at. It's a great. It's kind of a great field to be in, uh, of just being beset by self doubt and but it pays, uh, plagued but it pays by insecurities. So well. It's lovely. Uh, yeah, and oh yeah, and you never get paid, so it's perfect in terms of not getting anywhere and not feeling good about it. So that's right. <laughs> I recommend it to everyone. <laughs> never give up on your dreams, guys. <laughs> All the young creators. <laughs> um, the second part of the imposter syndrome question was: uh, Does it pay off to be yourself at work? We've sort of touched on it a little bit, but do we want to drill down into into that little nugget of uh, being yourself? Uh, are we ever really ourselves at work, or is it just our professional facade? I don't know. I always think that I'd much prefer to work for a bastard or a bitch who was openly a bastard or a bitch than, yeah. than a bitch or a bastard that was pretending to be something else. Yes. Because I think they're the worst scenarios when the words or the actions that are coming from somebody, mm. you, you just know aren't really what they think or it just doesn't come yeah. across as authentic. It's awful. And then you sit there with this sort of dilemma in your mind, second-guessing who that person yeah. is. Is that really what they mean? And you're analysing everything rather than just taking on board what they're saying and getting on with it and performing. So I think that, you know, as in a leadership position, you actually owe it to the business to be authentic because... Or at least be able to fake authenticity. Really, really well because people will be able to see through it and it will hinder their performance. Yeah. And I think there's a lot around research of good to great and what it takes for individuals and organisations that it does, you do need that authenticity and that connection. Because if the person you are reporting to is not themselves, how then can you ask those that work for them to be themselves? It, it's just a vicious circle and I couldn't agree more than that around there's more time spent internally and really as great leaders, the aim is to help take down the noise and actually open up everyone's eyes to look external to the business and the mission of whatever the company is. Um, Big picture thinking. It's also a, it's, it's always a humanity thing. And what I mean by that is this thing, leadership, which I think is always overly complicated, um, more complicated than it needs to be. But we follow other humans. We never follow sort of cardboard cutouts or, or cows. cows or, <laughs> um, so there's something about the humanity that we still, to this day, still find so appealing and attractive. It's all about connection. I always think, you know, from a marketing background, brands and successful brands are about connecting with an audience and you can't really articulate what it is that creates that loyalty and connection, but it is connection. People feel connected to the brand. It's the same with people or with leaders or with a manager. You either feel connected to a leader and a purpose or to a company and its vision. So you feel connected to a manager and that inspires you or creates an environment where you want to be committed to them and to deliver and to be successful to help them with whatever journey they're on. And I think if you're not authentic, you miss that. It means that there's no connection there mm. and then it's very hard to be motivated and it's very hard to get people to come on your journey as a leader if you can't create that connection. I think humans still love imperfection. Like it's mm-hmm. um, it's kind of why uh, all that stuff about movies where we talk about green screens and um, people just still want to see, oh, they really did that stunt. 
Like, I just want to see the imperfection and the humanity and the re- realness. And I think it plays out in leadership all the time. Completely, because you know it's there. So if you if you never get to see it, mm. it's almost like there's something hiding behind the facade. Yeah. So to see somebody slip up or err on a little bit of vulnerability, there's a relief element of, oh, okay, they are human. Yeah. And I, I think it's even more critical going forward with a more transient workforce where people are not anchored into working for one organisation. They're calling for it. And they need that connectivity. Now, ironically, with the overlay of social media and this other piece that is a big piece in people's lives where it maybe doesn't have that authenticity, Mm. I think in the workforce, it's something that if you can deliver that to people, it will really pay off and you will get longevity um, and buy-in that you know, many organisations will struggle for. We want leaders that do their own stunts. Is that what yeah. we're saying? <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> CGI leadership is on the nose. And I think, you know, we're looking at a, um, you know, a new workforce that are more independent or they want to work for themselves. So we're seeing more um, people working in the freelance economy, mm-hmm. for example. But I actually think that will start to shift a little bit because with um, owning, whether it's owning your own business or working as a freelancer, it's more difficult to get those connections that humans thrive from and that you get so much satisfaction from. And I think that's what then on the flip side of that means people often try something like that and then they'll reconnect with an organisation mm-hmm. or a company to get the connections and to flourish. But they won't have tolerance for those that aren't authentic. That's right, yeah. And people, I think, are harsher on other people than they've ever been before. They're looking for yep, yes. it and yep. um, and they'll call it if they don't say it. Yep. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Do do we really want to put ourselves so far out there for that for that reason? Like, like it's almost like the more real we become, and the more we open ourselves up to the, those attacks and the criticism. Yeah. So look, I do think there is a line, and yes. I think again, if we think about your role as a leader, there is a line, and I have seen leaders cross the line where they become so vulnerable and open mm. that you almost think, oh, for goodness' sake. You know, you've got a job to do. Um, pull yourself together. And I understand that you're human. I understand that you're vulnerable, but I don't need to see that anymore. So, so whole, there is a there is a line. There's a whole there's conversation a about what is the vulnerability threshold. Yes. Uh, yes. And uh, what is the perfect level of vulnerability for our for leaders to yeah. to, to I- I display? Right. Kind of run a course you, on that, Colin. Trademark. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want to be working for somebody who is yeah. in tears or telling you that you know things are not great now all the time. Like that's not inspiring. Right. I need a hug, guys. And I'm just being vulnerable with you, but I need to tell you that. And hence, like, this is why it's difficult stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This is why it's difficult. It it is very difficult. That's why there are thousands of books, thousands of websites, thousands of podcasts. Like, it's not easy to reconcile. But what was fascinating was when I think it was Brene Brown came out with that TED talk about vulnerability. It seemed to release something in a lot of people where all of a sudden it was quoted everywhere. People were talking about it or people felt this freedom to express themselves. And Mm. it is fascinating that there was a trigger that then opened the floodgates and Mm. now vulnerability (laughs) is one of those key words that you hear all the time. Um, we, might, we might leave imposter syndrome there. I don't, I don't feel equipped to talk about it, and I'm just—I'm I'm finally willing to admit that uh, I've just been just been faking it this whole time, guys. Talk to us later; we'll help yeah. you on that journey. <laughs> um, so, so, before we wrap it up, uh, let's just talk about takeaways. Uh, imposter syndrome. What are our takeaways from this discussion? 
Yeah, look, my takeaway, I think, is that the conversation needs to be had and the imposter syndrome needs to be surfaced, not at the leadership level, but right through the organisation so that we're supporting our young employees in acknowledging it, mm-hmm. understanding it, and then giving them the tools, whether it's through network, whether it's through training and learning, to overcome it so that then they can accelerate and move forward into the rest of their career. So just expose it culture-wide. Call it. Get the conversation started. That's right. Beautiful. Kate? And I think sharing how you actually work through it and how it presented is really interesting. So what are the ramifications if you actually don't dig deep and actually have a view around the value of you valuing yourself? Uh, And then providing those practical tips and helping as a manager for people to develop a sense of self and so they can really be present and, you know, thrive. For me, it's um, a couple of things. It's let's normalise it, uh, let's label it. Uh, we've used imposter syndrome in this conversation. I, I'm relaxed if it's called something else, but the moment you label something, you can take some level of control around it. Uh, and I just want to reinforce what I think you just said, Kate, around even if you as a leader have got to a point where it's less prevalent, being able to share moments when it was very uh, front of mind for you and and what you did and what difference it made. And, 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 and the, just the final one is... I do think it is a true driver and a motivator, and yet it comes at a cost. Mm. Uh, and it comes at a cost whether it's a home life, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally. Uh, so take it seriously mm-hmm. at that level. Beautiful. And as always, my takeaway is that most of my life choices are terrible <laughs> and that being in the creative <laughs> arts was woefully Woefully misguided. Uh, Can I, we give Rick a hug, please? Because <laughs> I'm just trying to find my vulnerability threshold. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure the next question will sit with you more comfortably. We'll build you up again. <laughs> wow. Imposter syndrome. Uh, fascinating discussion. I've reframed and relabeled the episode Leaders Who Do Their Own Stunts. I think there's three mentoring hits. One, you are definitely not alone. And I suspect once we discover that, we can talk and share with others. Number two, there's this great thing about leaders doing their own stunts, which is pretty much keep it real. Uh, Keep it vulnerable, keep it open. You don't need to be someone you're not. And thirdly, our mindset, changing that self-talk through things like repetition and even things like mantras. Leadership of Fools is a Somersault production. Somersault works with organisations through transformation and growth. Please subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or wherever you do your listening. And don't forget to visit leadershipoffools.com.